Welcome to the final episode in this series of the Motherworldly podcast in which we have celebrated books and reading and writing. I hope you have enjoyed listening as much as I have enjoyed making these episodes. This whole project gave me a sense of purpose back during lockdown. This is now my busiest time of year and I'll be taking a break for a few weeks. To finish the series, my guest today is a perinatal clinical psychologist and a birth doula. Her work includes supporting women antenatally and postnatally, as well as training other birth professionals to do the same. She's the author of the misnamed Why Perinatal Depression Matters, and her new book is Birth Shock, How to Recover from Birth Trauma. Welcome to the podcast, Mia Scotland. Hello. I'm so happy to have you here. (laughs) Delighted to be here. (laughs) It's just lovely to get the opportunity to talk to you and to talk about your books, both of them. Um, I know you've got a new one. But first of all, I'm waving, I'm waving a minute. For listeners at home, I'm waving Mia's book at her over Zoom. Um, I really love why perinatal depression matters. You told me it had been renamed and I got all excited for a minute. Yeah, unfortunately, it's only been renamed why postnatal depression matters because it wasn't being found in the search engines. People, perinatal is quite a new word, postnatal isn't. So, uh, so yes, it's still slightly, maybe not quite ideal title in terms of getting reaching the right people I think that's what you're suggesting it is but also when I read it I just felt like it was so much bigger and it's Mm. no this is often the case with this kind of book I had the same feeling reading Zainab Yates new book why breastfeeding sucks or when breastfeeding sucks um but this one because it explores the context so effectively Mm. And it, it, it really went into support in what I felt was a way that was absolutely generally applicable and shouldn't only be read by people who potentially suffer postnatal depression. So I want it to be mm-hmm. why everything matters. <laughs> well, absolutely. And I think as a psychologist, we do tend to see mental health struggles as being on a continuum. We all have them, you know, that it's not a case of you're ill or you're not ill with psychology so what I write about in the book is about how to stay well you know with or without mental health problems and so it's about thinking about your mental health thinking about what struggles there might be when you've had a baby and before and um, trying to mitigate them and, and make it as make it you know memorable for the right reasons yeah not for the wrong reasons so actually why mental health matters would have worked or why postnatal mental health matters Yes, or why self-care matters, yeah. or why you matter, why your mental health matters. Yeah, something less stigmatizing maybe, or less pocketed. People might think it doesn't apply to them, or as I said to you a minute ago, you wouldn't really buy a book called Why Perinatal Depression Matters as a, as a guide to somebody who's in her first pregnancy. But this book, I think, is, is, a, is a good guide to people going through their pregnancy because it helps you to think about, you know, how to stay well yeah it really does and it's such an accessible little book so yeah I really want it to be really widely read and Mm. I do recommend it a lot but I tend to be mainly recommending it to colleagues rather than yeah well I'm the same I don't recommend it to new mums until they've specifically said I feel like I'm struggling and I want a little bit of a guide then I go ah this book is for you but actually there are many times when I was working with for example as a birth doula and I was working with women prenatally and I thought, oh gosh, this book would be perfect just to give to them as a little, but I thought, no, the title will put them off a little bit. So it is a real shame actually. Um, but it's so nice to hear what you're saying about, you know, that you feel it could be useful to anybody who's pregnant. I kind of agree. Yeah. 
Um, I'm interested in this subject of books for um, new parents uh, or even books for parents-to-be because it's such a, a saturated market mm. um, and I can't remember, I've spoken to quite a few people who've written birthday books um, lately and my question has been how do you persuade a publisher that there needs to be another book in this marketplace? Um, well, I don't know the answer to that but I know for me um, with both books, um, I, I like to think, I mean, Why Perinatal Depression Matters has been out for five years, I think. And when I published it, the idea of a postnatal care plan or the idea of specifically mm. tailoring and planning your postnatal care was quite new. Yeah. And I just felt that was really important to get that out there. And now I think what's new in, in the next book is, is also something that I think is really important to get out there. So there's always, although, yes, it's a saturated market, and actually we want to really minimise the amount of advice we're giving, obviously, but actually there's, all, there's often changes and, and new ideas coming through, and books are a great medium for sharing those. Yeah, so the, the, the novelty aspect, I guess, is what you're looking for. And I say novelty not mm-hmm. in a sense of frivolousness. No. Um, but something that people haven't necessarily already explored. Um, which I guess brings us to birth shock. I've got one of these to wave at her as well. <laughs> um, Can't believe it's actually paper. Yeah, it's, I've got one too. Look, it's amazing. Oh, lovely sound and everything. Oh, <laughs> I envy you holding your book in your hands. It must be a lovely feeling. Actually, I'm very nervous because the launch is this week, and and um, it's a very. Um, what's the word it feels it shouldn't be but it feels quite personal and it Mm. makes me feel quite vulnerable um so I'm very nervous but I keep telling myself that in a few weeks time I look back and think oh that was nice rather than kind of think oh no why did I do that (laughs) so it feels exposing at the moment very very yeah because the reviews have only just gone out I've had no reviews yet I've had I've had a little bit of feedback which has so far been lovely but that's three people so, you know, it is very exposing. And although it's a piece of work, it's not me in that book. It feels like it is me to some extent. Petra Boynton mm. said exactly the same mm. thing. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. That it feels, um, yeah, she felt vulnerable before the launch and worried about mm. what critics would say. Mm. So what's novel in Birth Shock? So what I think is novel in Birth Shock is is moving away from this idea that people who suffer from birth trauma or from PTSD after birth, that there's something about them that we need to um, treat or understand. And I want to move the spotlight away from the women to the systems because in the work that I do, and I work with a lot of women who've been traumatized, what I'm hearing again and again and again is women blaming themselves. And I hear stories of, horrible treatment i hate to say that because obviously we have some wonderful maternity services but we also have some very very desperately poor maternity services and as a birth doula you see that so um so it's about putting the spotlight on the systems and saying to women generally look you might feel like you should have done something differently or been something different or but actually um maybe it's the way you were treated that's left Mm -hmm. you feeling this this well poorly i mean it's quite a nasty Thing to be going through isn't it when you've got a new baby and, and you've got birth trauma so yes yeah, so I spend the whole first whole chapter kind of pulling apart how important it is to treat women well during birth because we are at our most vulnerable while we're birthing 
We can't rely on fight or flight. We don't rely on adrenaline or sticking up for ourselves. We rely on social contact. We rely on other people having our back. We need people to be looking out for us during labor and birth. That's a basic evolutionary fact. And if we don't feel we have the support of people around us, we get scared. So that's where, so it's about this vulnerability that comes around birth that I don't think is recognized in, in the maternity systems and postnatally, by the way, when you're establishing breastfeeding, when you're kind of getting to know your baby, when you're recovering. So yeah, so it's, it's about, for me, what's different about birth shock is, is moving away from, or what is it about? For example, for example, so all the research that says what causes birth trauma, it all points to the woman's factors to do with her background, her personality. And that this is not about her background, her personality. This is about the way she was treated. This is about maternity systems that mistreat a woman during labor and then are surprised because she comes out with PTSD. Um, and here, it's, as you can hear, it's quite a thing of mine. I get quite cross about it. So I'm so excited that this book is out there because I'm already getting quite a response um, to people who are kind of like, which we even need to find a vocabulary around this stuff which isn't there at the moment um it's very difficult for a woman to go to a psychologist or a therapist or a counselor after birth trauma and say i feel like i was assaulted mm. and and that's quite difficult for her to verbalize and the therapist or the counselor will often look at her and go what do you mean they were helping you have your baby and so it's about creating a language as well for women to be able to express what they've been through in a way that is non-blaming and non-stigmatizing to them or against them or whatever the word is, I don't know. I wonder if perhaps also because people don't expect to feel that way about their birth and that's, that's quite shocking language. Um, yes. And it's a shocking concept to apply to yourself when in, you, you're going to be telling yourself, what do you mean they only helped you have your baby? Exactly. Yeah. 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 Is there a, a perhaps a, as a sense in which like with the other book um this book could be more widely read than just by those who consider themselves to have experienced a birth trauma to some extent yes because it's about recovery generally mm. um it's not about ptsd ptsd only affects two to only ptsd affects two to five percent of women who've had their babies but what i call birth shock the kind of like oh my gosh did that just happen and why can't i put it why can't i kind of get it out of my mind that can affect up to 40 to 60 percent of women it's quite a lot mm. it's a lot it's a lot. it's a lot it's not right is it that 40 percent come away feeling unhappy with what happened i just think that's such a tragedy mm. so yes it's for it's for half of women if not more than that and it's about taking care of yourself postnatally it's banging that drum again that i that i did in the first book taking care of the woman after she's had her baby is absolutely key to recovery whether or not she's had trauma so in that sense i would argue that it's for women who've had babies yeah so the subtitle should be either how to recover from birth or how to recover from birth whether it was traumatic or not <laughs> sorry to your <laughs> lovely publishers we do really really love your publishers, we love my publishers. <laughs> why didn't they ask me <laughs> maybe they should have asked you well they kept asking me and i could not find the right right title it's really difficult isn't it because the, the language around this is so important and it's so crucial 
that mm. um, we're my worry about how to recover from birth of course is going to be that is presenting birth as something you'll need to recover from yes maybe we should be presenting it as something you need to recover from well how to thrive after birth i would like that's nice yes because it's a massive transformation it's wonderful if we kind of go with the butterfly analogy you're coming out of your cocoon and you can if you if it's done properly you will fly as a mother and it's the most incredible experience isn't it and that's why it's so awful, such a tragedy that it's going wrong for so many. I just think it's not the way to start out. And I, I do get a little bit cross about the rates of distress we have after birth. It's just not okay. And there's a little bit in the book about distressing babies as well. And we don't study this yet. We don't know what the effect is on them psychologically. Yeah. Well, we know a little bit about attachment and things like that if the mother has been oh, affected by absolutely. Birth, her ability mm. to care for the baby and then the baby's own development. Absolutely. Um, and I spoke um, quite recently, obviously not for this, but in my role as a breastfeeding counsellor, I was talking to a couple who just had their baby and the father was quite clearly reeling mm. from the whole thing. And it had been a relatively straightforward birth with mm. nothing. And I know that we, we define birth trauma as whatever a woman defines it as. Mm. But for this man, there was nothing on paper that no. seemed traumatic, but you could see and hear from what yes. I was talking about, that he had been, um, I, I feel like unprepared is an unfair word, mm. but just, and, and uh, un, yeah, unprepared for the transformation and the way the experience was going to leave him feeling. Yeah, yeah. And I think going back to what you were saying about language, I mean, I've worked with a few men who've been traumatised by the birth, and, and the wording was really important. So, for example, the word your wife needs an emergency cesarean section. And he heard the word emergency and he thought she was going to die. Mm. But actually, really, it's unscheduled. If you think about most C-sections, they are unscheduled or unplanned. They're not. Yes. I, don't get me wrong. I know there are genuine emergencies. But we're using that word wrongly. And another one was the word resuscitare. That had heard him thinking that his baby needed resuscitating because it was about to die or he or she was about to die. So... Yeah, I think distressing men and or partners rather after childbirth, after watching their partners give birth is, well, we're looking at the research is coming through. It's phenomenally high. Um, as you say, the preparation around that or the understanding around that is something, something not right for that level of distress. Yes. Um, and on the one hand, I suppose there's something to be um, not celebrated. <laughs> My language is all over the place today, isn't it? But if, if it starts to be, um, evidence that this is affecting men then yeah. things will change that's a good point it'll be interesting to see yes maybe yeah things that affect women don't matter as much as things that no. affect men and yet if you think about lockdown and the fact that partners haven't been allowed in mm. until recently that you know that was just blanket policy that nobody could really have a voice about and that affected well maybe it affected women more than men now think about it because they were the ones working but um, let's hope you're right, Karen. I'd, I'd like to think that. I was flicking through birth shock. Um, I've had it for a few days um, and I've got into some bits of it, as you can see, because I have posted it already, tabbed it, um, and got the impression of it as quite a feminist book. Yeah, I let myself go a little bit on this one because it wasn't white matters. So I thought, well, it's, it is, I suppose that's why I feel a little bit exposed. Um, yeah, it's oh, I, good I, for I you. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I say right at the beginning, birth is a feminist issue and there's no other way of, of um, I don't think you can challenge that in any way, shape or form. No. And that's why I'm passionate about it, I suppose, because I think 
we need to take care of our mothers, we need to take care of our babies, and then our families will thrive. Well, there's that theory, isn't there? That if you get birth right, you get society right. I don't know how true that is, but... It seems um, like, for me, it seems a foundational philosophy. Yeah. yeah. If we get birth and a new parenthood right. Yeah. Yeah, It's the kind of thinking that is in place for that to be the case, is the kind of thinking that gets society right, whatever right yeah well as i say in the book a little bit you know understanding which factors make us more aggressive and violent and hurtful towards each other and what factors make us more compassionate and um, affiliative and helpful as human beings we have the capacity to be on both extremes of that of that spectrum and we know about which societies and facilitate those those behaviors so we the, the information is out there um Unfortunately, it's not something that is commonly understood or part of government policy. No, unfortunately, yes. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the things I noticed when I was reading through was um, a personal anecdote from you about when your first baby was born and the midwives commented to each other about your perfect size nipples. Um, (laughs) I do not wish to comment here upon your nipples at all, but upon the fact that the midwives felt it appropriate to say that in front of you and actually because I can remember exactly the same thing, but the other way around. Oh, no. Mine were imperfect and I was going to have problems. And to hear that within a few minutes of my baby's birth felt like a curse. Oh, my God. That's awful. Yeah. And it it went exactly as badly as they told me it was going to. It would do, yeah. Goodness me. So... I know, I did remember thinking, I don't know if I put that in the book, I'm thinking, why are you both looking at my nipples? Really? Did you need to comment on that? And almost looking for a t-shirt. But then I remember thinking, oh, let it go. But you know what? That really could have, as positive as it was, it was slightly, I mean, I knew them, it was a caseloading team. So I forgave them very quickly and I liked them. So, But it's standard to comment yeah. to somebody or about somebody. That's something good or bad about their nipples. I mean, in what other context is that okay? No, no, it just isn't. isn't. (laughs) It's just not. (laughs) I feel strongly about all of these things too. Mm. Mm. But particularly things like that, that those throwaway comments, like you say, emergency cesarean, you don't even need to use the word emergency. She just needs Mm. a cesarean. Yes, yeah, yeah. Well, we're choosing a cesarean because that's the best option at this point in time. Yeah, well, we're recommending we're offering her a cesarean. Yeah. yeah, we're inviting her to participate. Yes, we could go all the way down that one. <laughs> <laughs> but language, of course, is psychology, and I'm a psychologist, so I'm fascinated by language and how important that is. And um, as I say, it, one just a few words can actually run deep. And I've worked with people who years later just remembering two or three words that were said at the time. Yeah. Well, it's an emotional thing using language. I think we underestimate that sometimes. It is, and it's such a, a, a basic premise of everything because of the way it, it both shapes our thinking and um, expresses our thinking. Yeah. So there's a bit, the second part in the book, it talks a little bit about compassionate care, and I wished I'd had more time to talk a little bit more about language and how language can be used to really care for people and the right words can make such a difference. Um, but I suppose it's about just being conscious of the words that we're using and the language that we're using, as well as the assumptions that are behind the words and language. Like you say, the assumption that it's okay to comment on a woman's nipples. Because she's... Another... Sorry, go on. Another book. 
yeah another why it matters <laughs> would you like to collaborate <laughs> why language matters yay yeah. <laughs> although i swore i'd never write another book while i was writing this one to be fair so, is it true uh, it's like if you if you anyone's been lucky enough to have renovation work during the renovation in your house especially if it's your kitchen you're never going to do it again because it's just so awful and then three months later you've completely forgotten that and um off you go and do something else again or <laughs> or maybe even morning sickness i had quite bad morning sickness and my my husband videoed me saying i'm never ever doing this again and of course i forgot and had another one so I think my book might be like that. At the moment, I'm still a little bit like, no, 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 I'm not doing it again. But we shall see. <laughs> so what, what's your writing process, Mia? Well, um, they, it took me a very long time with this book to realise what I was doing wrong. I got, I got a bit stuck with this one. I was trying to write in my new desk in my, in my lovely new office. And then we had lockdown. And I wasn't allowed to travel to my office, so I sat in my bed and wrote. And it started to flow. And I then realized, because friends I know who are writers had said, yes, did you not know context is so important for being able to write? And I'm like, no, I actually hadn't realized that. So I'm really learning. Um, but yeah, in bed with a mug of tea seemed to work wonders for me. And it all came. How interesting. So I pretty, pretty much wrote the book in the last three months of three years of trying to write it. And all because you found yourself unexpectedly doing it from a comfy place. Yes. Plus, of course, um, suddenly I wasn't as busy because there was lockdown. Mm. But it wasn't the deadline. Normally people work well when there's a deadline looming. That wasn't it um, I, because I don't work well with deadlines. Um, you know, yeah, it was the comfy place. It was my bed, my, my place of relaxation and inspiration, it would seem. <laughs> How do you plan your writing? I am a framework person, love frameworks, love outlines. It's why I like doing training courses because I know the outline and then I go in there and then I, I fill the rest out. And so I do my outline and framework and I send it to the publisher and I say, what do you think? And they say, yeah, that looks great. And then I think, oh no, I've got to fill it now. Um, so the filling, but I'm not a wordy, never have been a wordy person. When I was writing uh, assignments, I always always came in under the required amount which I know none of my student fellow students did they always came in over the amount and I remember thinking what am I doing wrong but actually I'm not sure I was doing anything wrong I think that is in some ways um, a, be a benefit because I, I tend to not I don't I don't know I stick to the point I think there is no waffle in your books you are concise and I think that is oh, that you. is what makes it accessible Oh, that's good. Yeah. So when I heard I had to do a big proper book with, you know, quite a few words in there, I was like, how am I going to do that? <laughs> diagrams. Yeah. <laughs> I can't do diagrams on Word. It was a nightmare. No, I'm a novice, so I'm still learning. Um, definitely. Now, that's a phrase you wouldn't have used if you hadn't considered that there would be another book. Do you think? Yeah. I've just given away that subconsciously I think there might be another book. Well, I might be reading too much into it. No, but. you're right. I picked up on it when I said it too. And I thought, I almost said, yeah, I'll carry on learning when I write the next one. We shall see. <laughs> I haven't got it in me yet. Well, well they've got, I think you have to wait for them to land. Yeah, I have to, I have to recover. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's a book you could write. <laughs> I have to follow my own advice and just take a breath. And yeah. Yeah. So what brought you to the point that um, qualifies you to write books about 
birth and postnatal life? So I trained as a clinical psychologist in the NHS um, and you, I worked with what, what's, what people call adults, basically, which is usually things like depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress. And um, I had a job where I was working with someone who was telling me that she was in, uh, not doing well because she'd had a traumatic birth. Now, this was back in 1997. And, um, and she said it was the birth that had upset her so badly. And she had, you know, was really struggling. And I remember thinking, wow, just one day in your life? Can that make that much difference? Naively. And, um, and she was the starting point, really, of, of me thinking, well, that's what she's telling me going to other colleagues and saying, look, this seems to be the birth, and them saying to me, no, 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 it goes back before then. And thinking, okay. Um, then I had my own babies, and I thought, oh, my word, that's really it. I get it now. Then I needed a bit of a break from mental health, so I went to train to be a hypnobirthing practitioner. So, again, lots of positivity. That's where the interest in language comes in, and, and, just, um, and that was lovely. And then I trained to be a birth doula off the back of that, and that's when I then started to bring back in the mental health side of things with the hypnobirthing and the doulering and realised that there's a lot of, lot of distressed people out there who wouldn't be picked up from the NHS necessarily. And I thought, oh, I can start working with them. That's just what I find really, really interesting. And so I now have a clinic where I see people under kind of a therapy service for helping them cope with perinatal problems such as anxiety or depression or trauma. I see a lot of birth trauma and birth traumas a joy to work with because it's actually often very easy to treat mm. and if you don't treat it it can last forever I mean I've had an 80 year old woman on the phone um, never had you know 40 43 year old trauma still there so easy to treat um, relatively comparatively I mean and if you don't treat it can can stick around so I suppose that's the other message in my book get some help Mm. so satisfying work for you to do yeah and brings back the skills you originally trained in absolutely yeah yeah and then I also train midwives and birth professionals in, in this kind of stuff as well which is nice I love teaching yes yeah yeah so I'm a lucky person that's it's a real privilege to be able to do work that is that satisfying that you love and that you're really well qualified to do and it's a privilege as you know to be allowed into the lives of people who, you know, they, this is their, we're seeing them at their most vulnerable, aren't we? Mm. And um, that is an absolute privilege. And, it, you know, one thing I do say, if, if my work's getting a little bit uh, stressful, is I always say it never gets boring because we're working with people and people are never boring. Is that just because I'm a psychologist? I think that, I don't <laughs> think so. I think it's true, isn't it? People are never boring. Um, so yeah, I, it's, it's, a, it's, um, I am incredibly lucky. Thank you. A slight change of direction. Have you been reading much during lockdown? Oh, Karen, I'm so bad at reading. I think I used to be a readaholic and would be like, but you know what? I think I, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I'm dreadful. I start a book. As soon as I get a feel for it, I put it down and go on to the next one. <laughs> and I don't know why that is. And also in the evenings, I just want to watch math telly and do a crossword I don't want to my brain I think my brain it, I don't know it, it it hasn't got the ability to carry on thinking beyond my working day 
and when you read stuff or even if it's in passionate and enthusiastic stuff it uses up my brain power and i think i've reached my limit often with because my the thing about clinical being a clinical psychologist is it is actually i don't want to moan but really really exhausting and so and you're always using your brain power um so i wish i read more than i do i'm interested that you you're so aware of what your brain needs and how to give that to yourself and yet so apologetic for it. Oh, I am apologetic, aren't I? I feel like that's a bad thing that I don't read and you're right. Maybe it isn't. Maybe it's, um, yeah. Oh, thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. How do I rephrase that? No, I don't read a lot because my work takes a lot out of me. Um, and so even when I had lockdown, I bet loads of people were thinking, oh, I'm going to read loads now. And I'm like, no, I had to write the book, which was a blessing um, that I had the time to write it. But it meant I didn't read much. Hmm. But that's okay. Ooh. Maybe it is. Maybe it is. I learn from my clients. I learn a lot from my clients. Um, and if I do have extra time to do some continuing professional development, then at the moment it goes into my therapy skills and learning about therapies and the best way to get to help people but other than that trash tv in a crossword absolutely That'd yeah nice. sudoku yeah it's <laughs> equally a good way to pass the time mia thank you so much for talking to me this afternoon it's thank been really nice me. and it's nice to see you as well as talk to you as well yeah yeah it is isn't it it's lovely thank you thank you karen and thus ended the series my plan is to launch series four in January, and it might well be about books again or something else. If you want to suggest a theme or a guest, I'd be so happy to hear from you. I'm Motherworldly UK on Twitter and Motherworldly Pod on Instagram, and you can support the slow with a tiny monthly subscription on patreon.com motherworldly. I'd like to thank all my guests this series, Jambi, Laurie, Rachel, both Amys, Zainab, Lisa, Sherry, Tessa, Lucinda, Petra and Mia. And also, I'd love to thank my Bijou Band of Patreon supporters, Francis, Julia, Helen, Claire and Judy-Anne. Now, let's put 2020 behind us and look to the future. <laughs>